Welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that make us feel seen. I got to know writer-comedian Moshe Kasher in a way that might be familiar to you. I listened to his podcast, The Endless Honeymoon, which he does with his wife, Natasha Leggero. Moshe has had a long career in comedy at this point, but he spent his life trying on all sorts of new communities and identities, a journey he explores in depth in his brand new book, Subculture Vulture, a memoir in six scenes. It's a journey worthy of the heroes he's brought to discuss today. Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, and Edmund from the Chronicles of Narnia. I had the most fun talking with Moshe about his life and that deep impulse to open a door to a magical new world. Like all great stories, our conversation starts simply enough, with the two of us noticing that we're wearing the same brand of headphones. Okay, let's fucking go. I do believe we have the same little headphone situation on yeah but you don't have them for the same reason i do oh because you are a dj because i'm cool yeah because i'm super cool (laughs) yeah because i'm really cool because i'm having a midlife crisis yeah but you've always done this right no like you've long been in the in the music mixing arts that's exactly incorrect and it is a part of the saga of this book when i was a, a teenager um starting at about 16 i started mixing records and uh and these are in the vinyl days in the early uh rave scene days mm-hmm. and i was at a great advantage as a fledgling dj because i had a, a deaf mother who could uh, not hear the nightclub that i mm-hmm. turned my bedroom into so this was good right. yes but it but in this book i go through a thing that i i find myself going through again and again with these different subcultures that I lived in, which is finding this like insane kind of magic fairy dust that changes my life and yeah. then eventually becoming like, do I belong in this in this fairy kingdom anymore? So I left. <laughs> I, I left the rave scene behind when I was about, I don't know, 21, maybe 22. Mm-hmm. I kept dancing, uh, going out dancing for a few years after that, but DJing through a long kind of ego struggle saga fell out of my life. And then, you know, okay. fast forward, um, I don't know, 15 years, I started writing this book. And the first segment of the book I wrote was the one about the rave scene. And while I was writing that book, <laughs> I was uh, listening to old 90s uh, mixtapes and DJs that I used to love dancing to. And at the end of it, I yeah. thought, I think I want to try this again. So and I thought, what mm-hmm. what better midlife crisis than... <laughs> Picking up a, like a nice little musical hobby. I, it's not a Corvette. I'm not. A, no. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not doing. You don't, yeah, it's not an expense you have to clear. That's right. I'm not doing like a, an insane uh, orthorexia of uh, CrossFit <laughs> nine days a week. You know, mm-hmm. it's just nice. I, although my wife is not thrilled. She's not deaf. To my great chagrin. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and hers too. And she once asked me, "Are you DJing at me?" Which is not what I'm doing. <laughs> what an aggressive, what an aggressive, are you teaching, is this, do we need to talk? Is this you making the opening salvo for a conversation we must have? I think she thought she would go into a meeting and I would be like, great, she's on a Zoom. It's time for me to start yeah. a pumping out techno beats. <laughs> Again, this is a big part of uh, uh, of the book is like, and I didn't realize this when I started writing it is that in, it only uh-huh. uh, towards the end of the book that I realized that in some ways this the book uh, was like a time capsule uh, for my kid to say to, to show mm-hmm. her what the accidental life was like before the Internet mm-hmm. brought all of the choices that you'll make directly to you. Our <laughs> life 
was a was this I describe it as like a pinball game. It was and mine mm-hmm. more than most, but but everybody's life was a little bit of a pinball game. If you mm-hmm. happen to you know befriend a skater, then you were writing graffiti and you know uh, smoking yeah. a blunt under an overpass. And if you happen to befriend a goth kid, then you uh-huh. were you know doing a bloodletting ceremony in a field somewhere. <laughs> like it was just yeah. this sort of accident of thing because there was no access to information you would kind of have to go on a a quest which Mm -hmm. does lead us to this episode you'd have to go on a quest to find your find your people and that is what my book is about well, and that that's going to work as a great bridge, I think, to the, the characters that you presented for our conversation today, because you, you picked a trio of characters, which I think is very appropriate for somebody who has lived as many lives as yourself. And you picked a real big three. Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker and Edmund from like the Narnia books, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me, let me take you through my process. I felt deeply self-conscious about picking either Harry Potter or Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker because they're so... Um, they're so obvious. They're such – I want it – you know, I want – what sure. do I want to pick? I want to pick, like, the kid from City of God or, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> a, a, a samurai from a Kurosawa film. Now, that's where I felt seen. But yeah. in reality, the, the three of them, I picked them all because they're all kind of the same. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all – they all have this very particular trait in common, which I find – especially at the end of this book, I found like that was the experience that I had as a young person is the experience Mm -hmm. of those three. And also with Harry Potter, I really Mm -hmm. like, um, I'm like, I'm deeply transphobic. And so that really, that uh, Mm. really helps, you know, like anti-trans stuff. I'm so glad you could find your people in (laughs) Joanne. Well, that was the other reason I felt a little self-conscious about Harry Potter is he's not as innocent of a wizard these days, is he? (laughs) (laughs) Like you said, there is no innocence anymore. We've even been robbed of that. Oh, by the way, that's actually totally true. It's like even these characters that were like these classic figures from youth, everything is so political now. You're even like, wait, even the, I mean, listen, I was a Roald Dahl reader uh, as a young man. I mean, I love Roald Dahl more than anything. Yeah, that was, Roald Dahl was very big for me. He's got some issues in his past as well with my particular oh. tribe of people. But mm-hmm. uh, so it's not new, I guess, that people that you love say things that are funky about the character. And you can still, I guess, find a way to love those characters. Before you got to the end of your book and coalescing what you were talking about with like sort of synthesizing your life, this time capsule, you know, perhaps for your child. Was it before then that you had realized that you aligned with these characters in such the way that you did with this common trait? Or was that a realization that came as you put this all in one package? Listen, I knew growing up that the kinds of books that I liked, I always Mm -hmm. knew are these like, it's like a classic. I mean, I guess Alice in Wonderland was kind of the first, right? It's Mm -hmm. this kind of classic trope of, weak sort of Alice wasn't as a, I think abused as, as Luke and Edmund and specific and particularly Harry Potter, but this kind of like weak person, this weak child that thinks they have Mm -hmm. no power, that thinks that they have, that they are alone in the universe. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden this wild inciting incident occurs where someone comes to them and says, if you follow me this way, you will find that not only is there another world, uh, than the banal one you've been living in, but you're mm-hmm. actually incredibly mighty in that world. You have superpowers mm-hmm. that you didn't know about. That, mm-hmm. to me, when I started writing the book, I thought I was just writing about these different six different universes that I lived in. 
And I was all, I was wondering as I was writing it, like, what is the thesis here? What's the through line? And the obvious, it's obvious now, and it doesn't seem like a profound realization that the through line <laughs> is like is me, is me, right? Is, I'm right, like the, sure. the, I'm the connective tissue, but also this story of over and over again finding like I found a secret and I found a secret mm-hmm. universe and I found my mm-hmm. secret people and a secret tribe yeah. and I found these secret superpowers. That's why I relate to those three so much. Mm-hmm. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard and a thumping good and I'd wager once you trade up a little. No, you've made a mistake. I mean, I can't be a, a, a wizard. I mean, I'm just Harry. Just Harry. Well, just Harry. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain when you were angry or or scared? In the book, by the way, is called Subculture Vulture. is a memoir in six scenes. I believe that's the that's right. subtitle. Yep, that's it. So, in your questing, did you were you consciously looking for? Did you feel like that kind of that? you know, slighted, weak child in the process of your questing? Or did that, like, did that align with you when you were young and you were trying to find something greater, something more, something truer? Or was it more happenstance as you were doing it, but with the gift of hindsight, you can put these things together? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good question. And I think, I, I wish that I had been a more um, proactive seeker. I was definitely mm. an active seeker, but I don't know if I knew why I was looking. I knew mm. that... Uh, I knew that I was unsatisfied, uh, but did I go into my first rave at age 16 in 1995 going, I'm going to go find my people? Co- sort of, in a weird way. <laughs> something pulled you there. Well, something pulled me there. And I, I mean, I know what it was that pulled me, which is that I, you know, my, my, the first scene is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I got sober when I was 15 years old. I got out of rehab for the last time at 15. I'd already been in and out of rehab since I was about 13. So it was a, Look, it was a I know it's been a long time. time since then, but I hope you still feel very proud of yourself for that because <laughs> it's not easy it's, at any age or any time. So, Well, it's actually funny you say that because for many years, I was very proud of how young I was and how long I'd been sober. And mm-hmm. then a weird, there was a weird shift. I don't remember exactly when it happened, where I started to become embarrassed about it. It started to be, it started to raise more questions than it answered. You know, sure, when sure, I got to yeah. about thirty, and it was like I'd been sober fifteen years. All of a sudden, people would go like, "What? Like the math ain't mathin' exactly right, as, yeah. as people." And so then I would have there would be these like bevy of questions like. What were you doing? And I know what they want me to answer is heroin. But unfortunately, I don't have that answer, you know? Well, I'm and thrilled I, you don't. No, me too. But when it, when there's somebody asking, when somebody said, well, what were you doing back then that you needed to go to rehab? They want me to say, mm. I was a hobo on the train yeah. system, shooting dope and eating boots. But unfortunately. Yeah, like a needle sticking out between my toes and I was passed out. Like that yeah, kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. But like with a Lego really... set, a Lego set in the other hand, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because you're a child. <laughs> but unfortunately, it was just more classic juvenile delinquency. Yes, there was a lot of drugs and a lot of mm-hmm. there was a lot of violence and weirdness and, and awful stuff. But it wasn't as hardcore as I. Mm. Uh, well, I don't know. It's hard to even say. It does feel like sometimes I'm describing a different human being. I'm a lot older, mm. but I'm also uh, very different. And when I got sober. You know, I came to peace, even as a really young person at 15, I came to peace with the fact 
that I was sacrificing everything cool in life. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like I was ready to, I wanted to like survive and I wanted yeah. to grow up and not go to prison. But I was also yeah. like, that means I'm going to be a loser. That is just the way that this is because I only had one frame of reference for cool. You're going to be a square. Is, yeah, I'm going to be a square. That's it. I'm going to, yeah. you know, because <laughs> everybody I'm hanging out with, you know, I was just, I would go to young people's meetings. That was what they were called, the like young people's uh, AA meetings. And I would be the youngest person by a decade. You know, these people were wow. old people. They were 25, 26 years old. I mean, they were disgusting, right? So Decrepit, decrepit, decrepit people. people. So I had to like come to terms with the fact that I was ready to like close the door on cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And and even even though if I had a little bit of wisdom, I would realize that the kind of mind that manifests such a thought is deeply broken, right? If you think uh-huh. like, sure. if I stop drinking and getting high, that's it. There's nothing else. That means that all I've ever done is drink and get high. And so, yeah. so I got into AA and, uh, and I... I decided to close the door. And then at about, you know, a year or almost a year sober, I decided, no, I'm going to go on this quest to find like a young person's identity that uh, yeah. will will give me a social life, but in a different way. And that's when I went to my first rave. And when I walked mm-hmm. in there, I was a lot like uh, Edmund walking through the, the, the wardrobe in Narnia. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because I walked in and I was molecularly reconfigured in that first party. Mm-hmm. I was a shifted human being, and it like wow. pinged my reality into a new into a new path. What is your name, son of Adam? Uh, Edmund. And how, Edmund, did you come to enter my dominion? I- I'm not sure. I-, I was just following my sister. Your sister? How many are you? Four. Lucy's the only one that's been here before. She said she met some fawn called Tumnus. Peter and Susan didn't believe her. I didn't either. Edmund, you look so cold. Come sit with me. Did you find many, like, did you find any, like, sober or straight-edge people when you were there who were just, like, blissing out on on the experience? Very few. And when we found each other, we we liked each other. When I got, as yeah. I got older, um, as I got a little older and further into the rave thing, I, there did start to be people that I would know from recovery that would come to raves uh, on the weekends. And that was awkward because by that time, I had begun selling ecstasy for a living, um, <laughs> which was clean and, clean and sober, selling yeah. ecstasy. But the thing about ecstasy sales um, is that it's a very unique kind of drug dealing which is that it all happens at once in one area. It's not like you're on a corner and then okay, you know, interested okay. parties come up and they buy it. It's like <laughs> you're in, it's a lot more like a, a open air market in Marrakesh. You know, it's like yeah. you walk into the market. That's the, that's mm. the opening, the hallway of the rave. There's yeah, a so people can get started. Yeah. There's like a Lieutenant Wharf type, um, you know, manhood ritual. Remember the pain sticks with the, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. those, those are all ecstasy dealers and everybody's saying E, 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 E. And then you walk through the line and then you buy your ecstasy and then the job is done. But the awkward part wow. for me was I was one of those guys, one of the barkers, and I would see a guy coming from the, the meeting, you know, so I would be like E, ah. E, 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 Gads, good to see you, recovery yeah. brother, from the Wednesday <laughs> Gads, night meeting. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm, it's not me. It's not me. I'm just, not me. It's I'm just standing else. here. These guys, look at all these drug dealers around us. So that was, um, that was weird. I'm the sober drug chaperone, which honestly <laughs> has been me in many parts of my life. I'm the, the sober chaperone of, me too, of by the, the drug way. experience. So, okay. I, I had a, 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 I don't know how, but I had a sort of metaphysical attraction to people that were uh, uh, having bad trips or overdosing. I don't know how it would mm. happen, but I always thought like, it was sort of mystical, like the sober guy yeah. somehow would stumble onto the person having a hard time who was capable yeah. of like getting that person to help or talking that person yeah. down because I wasn't freaking out on my own drugs. So that's lucky, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you like with that? Like you like that's a tough thing for a kid to do to be able to because like there is a sense of like cool and experimentation and adventure and boldness and danger about being somebody who engages in that kind of stuff recreationally and you making this decision to decommit from it and being like, I'm leaving a life of cool kind of thing. Were you somebody who liked when you were growing up watching movies, did you like Luke Skywalker? Cause like, I, I feel like he could be like maybe kind of corny to somebody whose life is like a little bit more intense. Or did you actually like these, you know, these kind of straighten up and fly right characters like a Harry Potter when you were younger and watching stuff? Well, I don't, I, you know, it's funny is, uh, um, I, first of all, I didn't grow up with Harry Potter. I, I, I experienced right. oh, Harry no. Potter late because, uh, and I remember how I experienced Harry Potter. It actually brings us to our, uh, another scene, which is the deafness in American Sign Language. All, all my family is mm. deaf. My mother, my father, mm. my half-sister, my half-brother, my cousins, they're all deaf. And I was a sign language interpreter for 15 years. And my the bane of my existence uh, was when I would get a job at an elementary school, they would do story mm. time. And this was at the height of Harry Potter. And I would be oh, tasked to interpret Harry Potter, which is oh, horrifying. Wow. Because every name is like <laughs> Professor Stuffel stuff, and you're like—I mean, you know—with the with the the, the quixotic uh, mushroom balonic potion, and you're like, I don't know any of these words, so you're just like finger spelling these horrifying names. Wow! Welcome to Hogwarts. Now, in a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. But before you can take your seats, you must be sorted into your houses. They are Gryffindor. Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. So I resisted Harry Potter for a long time. But then a little later I read it and it, it, it was a great series. But I always, with Luke Skywalker, with the Narnia kids, I always yeah. had this fantasy. And I think this is why those books work so well, is that I had yeah. this fantasy um, of being pulled out of an unacceptable reality and discovering mm. that I, like I said... Not only is there a beautiful world out there that's bigger than yeah. I imagined, but it also I'm big in it. I have, I am, yeah. I am a, I'm a master in it. I'm a king. I'm yeah. a, I'm a knight. You know, I'm a, I'm the, the most powerful person because my whole childhood was filled with this feeling of being weak, being less than, having no power, mm -hmm. and feel and living in an ugly reality. And once mm -hmm. I, uh, when I, I would read those books obsessively and watch Star Wars. I watched Star Wars obsessively because it felt mm -hmm. like okay, if I could okay. just have a, an Obi-Wan come to me, listen, I don't want my aunts and uncles to be destroyed and, uh, and killed in order to find it, but right? I just, <laughs> I want my path. I want to find my path out of here and I want it to be an exciting one. I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. 
He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. Did you feel when you were within these subcultures, and, and, and Burning Man is a part of one of those cultures, I believe, as well, did you find when you were in them, were you satiated within them, or did you still feel something that you were trying to fill within each one, or did, did each one work for you as you were in it? Um, they, you know, there's like these different categories, right? Um, the, 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 the comedy and Burning Man and Rave category and AA to some degree, but it's more of a slow burn, mm. you know, Rave is like medicine. Sure. AA is like a medicine that you take slowly over time and you start to, to, to real, that one's cool because it's like you take, it's almost like you take a, a, a daily vitamin and then mm. a year later you're like, I have superpowers. Yeah. The yeah. truth is it was a more holistic and probably a more honest version of becoming mm. mighty is the things that I found in AA. Um, mm. But, but a, but burning man and raves and stand up to some degree, but burning man and raves in particular was a, a hard stop through the looking glass, through the wardrobe. Yeah. I'm now I'm off. Well, like I was going to say I'm off Dantooine, but I guess that's not true because burning man looks so much like Dantooine. Uh, but <laughs> <Yeah>. it was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He did, in fact, live in Black Rock City. <laughs> That's right. They both had this feeling of like, I have walked through a portal and I am now different. I am a, a yeah. different person and I am, and this will not, this is a part of me permanently, but it is, mm -hmm. uh, it is sudden and it is dramatic and I am this guy now. I've come back to complete the training. No more training do you require. Already know you, that which you need. Then I am a Jedi. <laughs> Not yet. One thing remains. Vader. You must confront Vader. Then, only then, a Jedi will you be. And confront him you will. Well, that, I mean, that does feel like those hero's journeys that we're touching on with this, where yeah. suddenly, like, Luke, Harry, like, going through the wardrobe, Edmund, you're handed something that, like, even if you've always been, like, aspiring toward what it can give you, suddenly you're handed the responsibility of it, too. And it's right. like, shit, it's all here at once. It's all happening. Like, that does feel like that drastic, like, he gets picked up by Obi-Wan and everything's different. He goes through, like, platform nine and three quarters and everything's different. Like, that does feel like actually a pretty kind of one-to-one -one in terms of the experience. Like, yeah. fuck, there was before and now there's after. That's exactly right. There's before and now there's after. And, you know, the unfortunate part not unfortunate, but just like the reality is like, uh, unlike the hero's journey uh, of Harry Potter and, and Luke Skywalker, like my destiny wasn't actually contained in uh, as an end game in these new universes. Yeah. My destiny was to wander through them and mm -hmm. like and, 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 and destiny, you know, I'm not really a, an actual believer in destiny in anything other than like a kind of beautiful metaphor, I guess. But like, I realize now, like what destiny is, is just when you get somewhere and then you look back and you go, whoa, this is where I was headed. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. so each of these things, each of these worlds, to some degree, like started the magic started to wear off. Um, yeah. you know, I haven't, I haven't been to a rave in 
15, 20 years, you know, and mm -hmm. I do still go to Burning Man. And this last year was my 24th time attending. And I, I worked there Damn. for many years. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I would say I'm officially old school there. But um, yeah, it's not as magical as it used to be for me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's a weird thing because you should never see a naked uh, fire spinner falling from a 40 foot silk and then catching herself right before she hits the ground and then like blow a plume of fire out of her mouth and go, ugh, this again. You know, but yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, not that. <laughs> See, don't it? they have any new tricks? <laughs> but there is, um, there is this feeling of like, th uh, of things change. Magic doesn't feel magical, and and what is it that I'm taking with me that I've packed mm -hmm. into my sort of selfness that I can mm -hmm. bring for the next step on my on my journey? My journey. I mean, my life is a lot more mellow now. Obviously, I'm a dad. I'm a, <laughs> sure. you know, I'm, things are chill now. But I still have all of those elements, those sort of those. It's kind of like when the Narnia kids went back to the real world and they couldn't come to Narnia anymore. They weren't kings mm -hmm. and queens back in England, but they were yeah. forever and, and uh, forever changed as a result of their experiences. And they could bring that sort of that feeling of royalty back into the real world. If we told you, sir. Try me. I think that touches on like like just the seemingly like totally unrelated start of this conversation where we're talking about sort of like the 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 loss the the diminishing of of innocence in like the grace period that you get for it. I think that sort of coincides with the sort of diminishing of magic. And I think too that like talking about like film generally, like I remember like a pivot point that I had when I went and saw the movie Oblivion, which is honestly to me one of the best looking like movies with visual effects. Like I've ever seen, like anytime you get like a big structure that's far away to make it look really real. Like when you're on, when you're in like uh, Force Awakens and you see like a, uh, or Last Jedi, when you see like an Imperial cruiser down on Jakku, you're like, that's a fucking real Imperial cruiser crash down in the desert. Like just such that the digital effects look absolutely peak. I remember watching Oblivion and the movie is just like, okay. And it got just like tepid reviews. And I remember thinking like, wow, we finally crossed the threshold where looking so marvelous doesn't really count anymore. Uh -huh. It feels like magic is harder to conjure because we are in, in many ways, like there's so much the luxury around us of being able to consume extravagance in media all of the time that it does have the effect of like, yes, like Marvel has kind of diluted its brain by putting out too many movies. But at the same time, like the fact that something like a Aquaman 2 or Guardians 3 can look pedestrian mm -hmm. is, is like, I find that to be a sad thing to cope <laughs> right. with. That's like, so interesting. You know? When matte it's, painting used to suffice, like watching the movie fucking crawl, and I was just wonderstruck as a child, and now it's kind of like, damn, what do you got to do? You have to fall from 40 feet on a silk strap and breathe fire out of your mouth, and it's still not enough for people? Like, it's a weird time. That's really interesting. What you're saying is, like, so 
uh, it's like a, a cousin of what I'm talking about in the book, but it's a completely different angle because I'm talking about this loss of, uh, of innocence on an emotional level. And you're, sure. d- you're describing a loss of innocence on an, on an aesthetic level, on a visual mm-hmm. level. And I think that both things are true and they're both, uh, they're both th- due to the same thing, which is this sort of yeah. gavage, this tidal wave of digital mm-hmm. information and savvy. Like everything has become, we are too informed on every single level, visually, <laughs> yeah. emotionally, politically, like we uh-huh. are savvier than ever and we are sadder than, than ever. It didn't help. Yeah. There's something tragic. Help. There's something tragic and and sort of I don't, beautiful in a weird way about that. Because yeah, like it, it it's it's interesting that you can't like I so I watched the stand, uh, mm-hmm. the new stand miniseries. Like Did the you series. see it? Yeah, yeah. I saw it in a couple episodes of it. Listen, it ain't it ain't great. But um, no, it's not. I went back and then I was watching the miniseries from. Um, the early nineties or maybe the late eighties. And I was like, now mm-hmm. this is what I like. I like this style of acting. And the, the acting mm-hmm. back then was, was so much like folksier in this weird way. Yeah. It like, was folksier. <laughs> and it's better. It's, it is better, but it, and I was like, why can't we have this anymore? And I mm-hmm. realized like we, our eyes and our minds couldn't accept mm-hmm. that level of sincerity in acting like acting right. now must be shinier and a little bit more tongue in cheek. And there's got a little irony. Got to have a like a little bit of I threw up it like the length to which the phrase I threw up in my mouth has stuck around. Like I think <laughs> I even just saw it in the new Mean Girls musical. And sure. like the the acknowledgement of like the I did a thing within that joke to me encapsulates like where we cannot come back from. That's exactly right. Like you can't go backwards and everything has to be. That's why we liked RRR so much, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Because all of a sudden it was this hyper sincere tongue, yes. no tongue in any cheek, like a piece of media from another universe almost. And we mm-hmm. go, it's like, it was weird because it was hyper modern, but it was also nostalgic. Like, oh, wow, a movie that is taking these swings that are so insane. And we yeah. are not, it is not self-aware. I mean, I'm sure that the <laughs> filmmaker is self-aware, but he's not presenting yeah. it in a way that's like a self-aware, like that's Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is always winking yeah. at you a little bit. And there was no wink yeah. in RRR. And I and there was certainly no. no wink in Star Wars. Star Wars was, it's a space opera. It's a fucking opera. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for a quick break, but I'll be back shortly with more from Moshe Kasher. Then I'll have one quick thing about the directorial debut coming up from Dev Patel called Monkey Man. It looks to be an exciting action thrill ride for us all. The Eurovision Song Contest. Hundreds of millions of people watch it every year. It played a part in a democratic revolution in Portugal. It introduced the world to Riverdance, and it launched Celine Dion's career. But you might have never watched it. It's got so much history and so many storylines that it can feel overwhelming to get into. Mm-hmm. It's like a real housewife season, but everyone's a better singer. Well, sometimes. But that's where we come in. I'm Dimitri Pompey. I'm Oscar Montoya. And I'm Jeremy Bent, and we're the hosts of Eurovangelists. If you're new to Eurovision, we'll tell you everything you need to know to start enjoying the world's most important 
important song competition. And if you're already a fan, we'll dive deep on its wildest moments, like when Ireland sent a turkey puppet to sing for them. Your evangelist. New episodes every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm talking with comedian and writer Moshe Kasher, whose new book is called Subculture Vulture, a memoir in six scenes. Let's get right back into it. I remember I saw some movie. I don't even remember what it was, but there was some kid. There was a kid in it and an adult in it. And and mm-hmm. I kept waiting for the horrible thing to happen to this child. Like it, it And then yeah. it never happened. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God something has happened to the way that I view media, that it's so sinister and dark that I can't see this relationship on film without thinking something (laughs) horrifying is about to happen. So there's that that lack of innocence is, it's not like I went into it with that. It's like, it's been ingrained in us to see this sort of shadow on on the edge (laughs) of our media. That's what's so um, interesting to me about my years in the rave world. And even mm-hmm. Burning Man to some degree. Burning Man's a little bit more directly debaucherous, but the rave thing sure. for me was so interesting because where I was developmentally, it was simultaneously a drug-fueled sex. Everybody was fucking everybody. Everybody's on drugs. Yeah. Like, But at the same time, it was this unbelievably innocent experience, this incredibly sincere experience. Mm-hmm. Like... Burning Man definitely has more of a tongue in its cheek. It's it's a lot more comedy ba- driven okay. and a lot more like fuck the fuck society driven. Okay, but, interesting, yeah. But raves, while they are fuck society, it's more of a like fuck fuck society, not because it sucks, but because we want to go into this warehouse and love on each other. And like yeah. that was so what I needed. And mm. you know that the the that like Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker have this similar thing, which is that they find their mighty powers. And mm-hmm. they and then they go into the world where they're where they're powerful and they start to discover. And this is sort of what happened to me. They start to discover mm-hmm. that actually there's darkness there, that even even yeah. the world that was promised, even the hero's journey is filled with yeah. peril and is filled with. And you don't come out the other end, the same sh- shimmering uh, creature that you went into it, that the path. Itself yeah, like you will could you, will, you could be tempted at becoming a Sith. Like it, exactly. that temptation will sit there. Exactly. And 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 and. And then you have to realize that the Sith was, uh, you're going you're gonna to like this, the Sith was <laughs> in you the whole time. Luke, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. But it's true. Like the Sith, the seed of Sith was inside of Luke the whole time because his father yeah. was ultimate Sith, right? It's like, mm-hmm. uh, and so as opposed to Edmund, who I think in some ways Edmund is the is the, the for my rave thing anyway is the biggest corollary mm-hmm. for me because Edmund <laughs> Edmund was rotten when he walked through the mm-hmm. wardrobe, 
And what he found right. inside the wardrobe and inside Narnia was all of this, like, pure light. And he came yeah. back to the world. Uh, even when his journey was over, he was a changed person for the better. And that mm-hmm. is a lot of what I found in 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 raves. Um, it was mm-hmm. this kind of... and. It was naive. I mean, and by the way, mm-hmm. the Narnia movies and books, they're naive. They're a silly kind of naive. They're yeah. not, they don't have the depth of, of, <laughs> of, of, of the Star Wars journey, but they were aspirational for me. And definitely that's what I found in, in the rave was this very innocent version of mm-hmm. finding my people. Was there any aspect of the heroism or responsibility that that drew you to these stories as well? Or is that, that a side piece and primarily about, like, the leaving the terrible life to find something is truer and greater for you? Or was it like, but I want to I wanna be the, the one at the center. Like, I want to be the one who was foretold. No, a thousand, a thousand percent. And I didn't know it okay. when I was walking in. All of these worlds share this thing in common, which is once I get in, and I feel yeah. the, the molecular reconfiguration. My next step always is I want to own this. I have like uh-huh. main character syndrome. I want to be okay, like, okay. I want to I run it. And, and, and here's what's really, and this really is Harry Potter and really is Luke Skywalker. The nasty thing about, uh, about becoming a professional in these worlds mm-hmm. is the minute yeah. you cross the line into uh, from like acolyte into professional into leader, right? It begins to degrade the magic, and yeah. that yeah, yeah, happened yeah. Okay. again and again in this book and in my life. Is like once I started throwing raves and becoming a DJ and then eventually becoming yeah. a drug dealer, which is the darkest thing that in that story. Or once I started to work at Burning Man and become you yeah. know get into see how the psychedelic sausage was stuffed, you know the magic starts to fade away because it looks like more and more like the real world, like the kind of greed and evil. Evil isn't probably the right word, but you know, like the the dark, the dark side. Well, and I think that like going into comedy and going into entertainment and you've had your own show with Problematic, your wife has had her own show with Another Period, you guys have your Netflix comedy special together, the the Honeymoon, um, the Honeymoon Netflix special, which has been off of like the Endless Honeymoon podcast that you guys do. I mean, you're in it. You're in it. And I... Well, luckily like, there's nothing dark about Hollywood or the entertainment industry. So there's no dark side. <laughs> I was lucky that I found a pure a pure world to live in, finally. You found the one. You found the one. <laughs> well, how have, how have you found that? Like, in a in a life of having a becoming to the... Becoming accustomed to the cyclical nature of entering into magic and then feeling that magic fade and then reconfiguring yourself elsewhere. How, like, how have you come to process or cope with existing within sort of, like, the awareness of that diminishing magic, but wanting to stay with your craft and a love for it. Like, how does that look when you are in your, like, latest phase and something that feels like maybe, like, an indefinite phase? I don't know. I think it is indefinite. And part of that is just mm-hmm. um, is just my age. I think that, you sure. know, I've spent 20 years in the comedy world and it's like, I don't really, I ain't going nowhere because I don't really have anywhere yeah. to go. You know, it's like, it's a little <laughs> late. It's a little late to discover, I, I don't know, the, the wonders of... Uh, contact improv at this point in my life (laughs) so it's like I think that what keeps comedy because yeah definitely the same thing happened the first time I stood on stage I had another uh, reconfiguration and another sort of permanent uh, railroad switch in my track uh, of Mm -hmm. my life but then you know comedy I mean some people have a meteoric rise I did not it took me a lot 
a, a long time to get any recognition. And I finally, mm -hmm. I grinded and grinded. And unlike raves, it wasn't an immediate magic. It was like a magic I had to manifest through like extreme. I don't know hard that anybody work. grinds like comics and musicians. I mean, the 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 grind and the the get the keep the stick to itiveness that is required is unbelievable. Yeah, well, I would say I would say the monkeys uh, with the little um, organ. Oh, yeah. Nobody grinds like them. Nobody grinds like them, and no few jobs more thankless. Yeah, that's so true. Nobody respects them few at job. all. Nobody um, respects them. But I think, so yes. So then, you know, it's been 20 years that I've been in, in, in comedy and there's definitely darkness. And, and forget the news cycle darkness that everybody's always talking about with comedy. Yeah. E yeah. Leaving that aside, because, you know, I, I always, I think that too much attention is paid to that, to comedy as a like, a, a, a cultural force. You know, it's like every, mm. every world, every, every career, every universe has problematic people and has problematic yeah. sentiment with it, whatever. I mean, I think it's a significant story. I'm not saying leave us alone. I'm just saying sure. it doesn't feel like it's endemic to comedy, but there's darkness, mm. not only uh, in the, in the, in the community, but also just in the process that is required to try to make it is so self driven and ego focused <laughs> and, and me, me, me all the time, which is not good for the human spirit. Just like pay attention mm -hmm. to me. I need, uh, so yes, there's a darkness that makes me wish that I, I could just jump on a spaceship and like transport to another universe where I never did this. <laughs> but I think what keeps me going and keeps it fresh or whatever is that in this field, I am generating, uh, and mm. I am cr creating an offering and like, even if it isn't accepted or it, or isn't like a mega hit, it's I have a thing to continue to bring as opposed uh -huh. to to these, you know, the other universes like the Burning Man and the Raves. I was trying to jump into a pool and grab as yeah. much of the uh, of the of the water as I could. Here, I'm sort of like bringing water to the table and saying, like, mm -hmm. what do you think? Is this does this quench your thirst? Do you like it? And I think that process is more substantive and it's more mm -hmm. uh sustainable where you know i i, I wrote this book i writ, wrote this script i have a new stand-up yeah. hour i have an offering for 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 you and i hope that it does something for you so i think i'll stick around <laughs> what do you kind of see as like because you have the like in the end of the harry potter series it has like the flash forward and like you know you you have i think it's like Ginny and harry are together and and ron and hermione and then in we obviously like there's a there's now the skywalker saga is now nine movies and sure. when we find luke in the the most recent trilogy he is isolated on a stormy island with a bunch of fish nuns serving blue milk what do you what do you see as your postscript that you hope to be heading toward? P.S. I the idea that uh, it, Luke just chilling out, meditating on a rock, drinking bl the blue milk. I mean, that sounds. <laughs> there's something very, very um, tantalizing about that. That sounds great. I, abdicating all responsibility for saving the world and just like sitting back on a rock and thinking about stuff. Ooh, mama. That sounds nice. Uh, <laughs> what's my postscript? I, you know, I feel like, I feel like, um, I mean, God, this is going to sound corny, but the truth is like. I love it already. I love sincerity. Uh, Give me corny. Well, I, it's just like, I, I have this kid now mm -hmm. and, and like, that's, I don't think having kids is for everybody, but it was certainly for me was this feeling of like, 
all the existential angst, I'm not that I'm free of it, mm. but all this like questing is like over now yeah. because I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, I'm just supposed to like pass on this information to this other person. I have now yeah. I really am on a quest. Now, now I'm Obi-Wan, you know, yeah, she's Obi-Wan. Luke. oh my God, <laughs> she's Luke. <laughs> and, and, and my job, my job is to like, you know, give her what I give her some of these little kernels of magic, uh, Especially because it feels like society now has become something that you have to fend off as opposed mm-hmm. to something that you inculcate. You know, it's like I have to, I I want to, and I take great joy in the fact that I'm able to give her the things that I love about the world and try to protect yeah. her from the things that I think are scary about the world. So I don't know. My postscript, comics don't really retire, but... Um, yeah, yeah. My, if I was Luke, I would be. I would move to an island and just surf and live on a hut with my daughter and my wife and eat fruits and, <laughs> uh, and, and stuff. But I don't see it happening. So I think I'll just be doing this. What is, I guess my last thing then would be, what is, do you find the thing where the magic can still renew itself perpetually, at least to some degree? That's a great question. Um, well, okay, like I said, the two of the worlds that um, that are permanent, you know, a big part of my story in the book about AA is this, uh, and I, I had a lot of self-consciousness about writing it, is that I'm not, do, I don't do that anymore. Uh, I mm. moved on from that that world, but I still, I'm still sober and I still live my life in a, in a, in a lot of ways, according to the, some of the principles that I, that I gained from that universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's less a part of my identity now. I mean, it just isn't really as a part of my identity. It's mm-hmm. more a part of my past. And, and then there's like, deafness and Judaism, which are these things mm. that they didn't have this, they were more th- worlds that I was born into. They were my Dantooines mm. or my, uh, or, or my, uh, my London or my, uh, uh, um, I, w- I don't want to say they were my, my cubby under the stairs because I, I, I but they did have trauma to them, mm-hmm. but they sink sunk into my bones in this way. That's like really permanent, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and I just move through the world as I will always be a person I'm not in AA anymore, but I will always be a person who is a, a child of deaf adults, and I will always be mm-hmm. a Jew. A, a Jew, like these are, and they they loom less large, but they sink more deeply. If that makes sense, right? Right? Yeah. And and so I don't know if they they don't feel magical per se, but the, but their their permanence is there's something sort of magical about that. But but with Burning yeah. Man, in the book, I describe this process of uh, of of the magic wearing off and me deciding to re configure myself to keep going mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. these other things I like left and Burning Man I, th- I thought you know I could change the way I approach this I could mm-hmm. say it's not magical anymore but I still like it and I still want to attend now I'm sure I won't attend I'm sure I'll stop someday but I went sure. last year and it wasn't like oh my god I can't believe this is happening at all but it was still like this is a world that I lived in and I still love it and I still want to be here um yeah I still feel magic, though, on stage I, when things are oh, going that's well. wonderful. It's yeah. true. I mean, I still feel like it's still a beautiful experience for me to make a, a crowd laugh. I still feel magic when I write. Um, but I also, much like Luke, although he seemed a little miserable, I feel <laughs> like the, the magic moments are quieter now. I don't need an, an, yeah. ex, a, an Oppenheimer explosion to anymore, <laughs> yeah. I, you know? Like, I just need to, like... I, I, my life is calmer and I, and I, and I don't mind it this way. And yeah, it is magical to see 
to watch my kid kind of walk on her own journey and figure out yeah. like what's going to happen for her and where she's going to land. And, and that to mm-hmm. me is, is also very magical, but yeah, I feel like I, I feel there are less explosions and there's more of a uh, eternal flame. <laughs> <laughs> well, Moshe, I uh, listened to your episode of uh, endless honeymoon with uh a part of Nancherla recently and you guys commiserated about how you recently on book tours where you were asked interminably the same questions over and over again so I hope today was not that for you and I greatly appreciate your time you had you had great <laughs> questions I loved it I loved it I really like the idea of what of what still feels magical I mean listen I, I, I want to answer that again I realized yeah, in a lot of ways the way I chased after these worlds was the way that a drug addict chases after a high. You know, when you get high mm-hmm. for the first time, it's like the most incredible feeling on earth. And then you I chase the dragon. I was kind of wondering that in my head, if there was a sort of like an extension of like, you know, someone coming from an AA, someone who has gone into sobriety, yes. like who's in recovery. Like, it's amazing. Like my, my dad's been in recovery now from his last bout with drugs for like going on like 15 years. But like... I still see in him so much every day the ways in which, like, that part of him still exists. And he exercises it in banal ways, but it's like, it is like, yes. oh, okay. You're chasing, yeah. you're chasing, chasing a luck dragon, not chasing the dragon, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah. you, you're, so yes, I was going to get high off of these worlds. And the mm-hmm. fact that my world feels calmer and less explosive, uh, but but still feels like little little bits of magic. I find magic in mm-hmm. you know in 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 nature too. Like the fact that yeah. it's a calmer, less less uh, get me high on this feeling makes me mm-hmm. feel like I have done the work of self integration, which I think is yeah. like. I mean, I don't think I've done. I still do things. I mean, I have a nicotine <laughs> pod in my mouth right now during this podcast, but, (laughs) but, but I do feel like on some level, I, you know, all these pieces of me have created like a a kind of healing and that's good. I don't know. We can't, there's nowhere to go from that, but, but thank you. Like, I feel like that's the perfect bow on the present. So Moshe, thank you so much for coming and talking to us and subculture vulture, a memoir in six scenes. That is what brought you here. And I am, I am glad that, our destinies intertwined for this moment. I truly appreciate it. You know, this whole podcast, I can I can only say one thing, which is that I was feeling seen. It's what we try to do here. It's what we, it's our <laughs> mandate here. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Huge thank you to Moshe Kasher for joining us. His new memoir, once again, is Subculture Vulture, and that's on shelves as of yesterday. Moshe is doing a multi-city book tour as well, so find out the dates for that in the link we have in the show notes. And now, my one quick thing before we go about an exciting movie on the horizon. It is called Monkey Man, and it is the directorial debut of fantastic actor Dev Patel, who is also starring in the titular role of the Monkey Man. Let me read you a brief little summary. An anonymous young man unleashes a campaign of vengeance against the corrupt leaders who murdered his mother and continue to systematically victimize the poor and the powerless. So we have a bit of a Robin Hood story coming up. And to me, the most exciting thing about this is that it is an actor making his foray into direction in an action movie. To say we are like in a in a zenith of action 
it's it's sort of unfair to action in the way that saying horror was in a in a renaissance um, on the heels of you know thanks to rather thanks to Get Out thanks to The Witch thanks to The Babadook um, when these are genres that have been rich with quality have been so prolific, have huge followings who are passionate about them as practically lifestyles who will categorically watch kind of any movie that comes out in these genres because they are such fans. And there is a constant steady stream of good work. But thanks to big headlining achievements like the John Wick franchise, for example, it has allowed for an expanded imagination in the minds of perhaps non uh, action-centric movie fans to see examples of the form that feel like make it feel like the artistry is heightened. Make it feel like like now this is something that I can get into. This is the balletic form of action that I can you know elevated action, if you will. And I won't because that's gross. Because action has always been top tier. It's just whether or not you've been paying attention. In any case, we have Dev Patel taking the helm of a film, and I'm so glad to know that his passion lies uh, in bringing more of the action arts to all of us as well. Uh, He is the director, as I've said, we should shout out, to be thorough, the fight choreographer for this film is Brahim Chab, and he has done fight coordination, assistant fight coordination, has been a stunt performer in so many titles. He has worked with stars like Scott Adkins. Uh, Well, he's worked on films um, for stars like Scott Adkins, Donnie Yen, Tiger Shroff. Um, He was a stunt performer in the movie War. Um which is a fantastic Indian spectacle action picture that, of course, features a crucial plotline about uh, the intimacy between male friends and male competitors. It looks super cool. The production design looks absolutely stunning. I am so excited to sink my teeth into another uh, underground society filled with suspicious and compelling and rich characters as movies like Blade and, yes, the Wick franchise have uh, taught us to really appreciate, I would say, over the past decade. Um, yeah, it looks super cool. I will always stand another filmmaker centering action as the art form that it has always been. And this feels like a relevant moment to put out a little footnote there. Um, the This is this little personal thing. It's not like a whole wing quick thing because the movie's not out yet. But XYZ Films did recently pick up the domestic distribution to the next film in the Skylines franchise, one that I love, from writer and director Liam O'Donnell. It is called Warpath. And it stars, this is relevant because it stars the eco Uwase and the Uwase team is doing uh, stunts and uh, fight choreography for that film, which is extremely exciting. Scott Adkins is also going to be in that. Uh, it, I mean, it, Louis Mandalore is in it as well. This is a feast for action fans. That's on the way. We got a lot to look forward to, as we always do when you want to see good movies in this genre because they're coming out all the time. So yeah, Monkey Man. It is on the way, and it is in part a Monkey Paw production. So go Monkey Paw. Uh, And that is the one quick thing for the day. And that is our show. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. 
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.